0: this edition of Hoosology, Matt and Justin welcome Nick Green, author of How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius. Nick tells his journey regarding creating a book and the origins of the game that we love and have passion for. Then Matt and Justin discuss if the logo should be changed from Jerry West to Kobe Bryant, title contenders within the NBA, and match trending topics. And now, Nick Green. Now we have the pleasure in welcoming Nick Green. He is the author of How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius, which comes out this week, March second, twenty twenty one, via Abrams Press. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. So, Nick, um, just for some a little bit of background on us, uh, Matt and I were, uh, you know, childhood friends since middle school, huge basketball fans. So, when reading this book. Um, I can probably speak for Matt. Our brains probably <laughs> has exploded with tons of questions. They're going <laughs> in a thousand different directions. Um, so let's not waste any time. And cool, I just want to start with a basic question, Nick. Um, what was your first experience with just the game of basketball yourself in terms of just watching it on TV or just playing it on on the playground?
1: Gosh, I'm sure it was watching it on TV. Um I grew up in in Chicago and I really sort of um grew up in the in the 90s so it was impossible to avoid the Chicago Bulls obviously and um I'm sure it was watching the sport rather than playing it although I used to love to play it I was never very good at it but I was always uh, great at sitting on the couch and watching basketball so I'm sure it was a uh, um Early, I mean, I I, I remember the the '91 Finals, uh, Lakers Bulls, and I'm sure there's there's a bunch of stuff before that as well. But um, that was that was definitely formative, as it was for a lot of people. <laughs> and Nick, I was just reading
0: through this book. Matt and I were chatting off air. It's it's really dense. It's not super <laughs> long, but it has so much information jam packed into it. Can you just discuss how you created the idea of coming up with a, with a book like this because just going through just different basketball books this book is very unique in just a way the approach to the game so can you kind of go over just your framework and just how you created it the concept
1: yeah for sure so um the sort of the main concept is of the book is i i talk to experts and seemingly unrelated fields about the game of basketball, um, their impressions of it, uh, you know, what they what they see when they watch. Um, and the idea for that really came from just uh, basically noticing that I was having so many conversations with random people in my life um, about basketball, people who weren't basketball writers or, or, or even huge or, you know, self-professed hardcore fans, people who just enjoy the game. And it got me thinking like, wow, there's, there's so much I can learn about a sport that I watch all the time that I, I write about. Um, and I thought it'd be a kind of a fun way to just explore the history and the growth and the evolution. And I'm um, like a big uh, rabbit hole kind of guy, you know, all, I stay up late going through Wikipedia pages. And uh, the the research in this book is beyond Wikipedia. Don't worry. I want to make that <laughs> clear. <laughs> but, it definitely uh, is.
2: But I, it definitely uh, is. Yeah,
1: I, I, I love, you know, just pulling threads on things and, and basketball is such a fun, you know, uh, sport with a hit, not just a rich history, but the fact that it can be traced to a single inventor. It's young. It's, you know, only a you know, hundred so years old um, that it kind of was possible to get this, uh, I don't know, bird's eye view of the sport. That 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 was a kind of a fun little quest for me to just learn as much as I could in the weirdest possible ways, I guess. Awesome.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, Nick, one of the things I want to pick your brain about you, so, so much of this book, of course, as you just mentioned, is about the evolution of the game. When you look at modern basketball right now, I mean, it, it always really seems like when, when we're in the moment, like when we're in the 90s, we had big men were the centerpiece of teams. I had mm-hmm. an interview with another author about uh, a lot about Patrick Ewing and as the center of the Knicks. Uh, And it just seemed like that was going to stick around forever. And then, of course, I mean, in large, I think due to Michael Jordan kind of broke the mold. Um, And we see the sport changing. Um, I I was doing a deep dive uh, the other Mm -hmm. night, and I saw a prospect who's foot nine. And my thought was that that's amazing. Um, He's pretty mobile and things. But I'm also wondering, like, can, can he even stay on the court? I mean, we have players like... Bobon very skilled and very big um, but a lot of teams for good perimeter scoring you just can't keep him on the floor uh, mm-hmm. necessarily so I, I'm wondering do you think that we might see in the future like a pendulum swing back to bigs or with all this research that you've done where do you kind of see the game going if you can look into your crystal ball for me
1: <laughs> yeah no it's it's something i've I've thought a lot about um you know, with the the three point line, obviously it's just such a um, incredible incentive uh, for players. And it's something that um, I speak in the book with Kirk Goldsberry, who's a, you know, very well-known basketball mind, but he's actually trained as a cartographer. He's a map maker. And so his approach to the three point line is, and he noticed it basically by making maps of the court and seeing where people were, were shooting. And he noticed that, gosh, people really aren't shooting that much behind the three point line. This was, Earlier in the century, obviously, um, uh, you know they're they're taking you know long twos. It's, if you take a step back, a, a foot, you get this incredible huge incentive, uh, and so that that was a a. I mean, we all saw it. We saw it with the Warriors in the last decade. We saw it with a little bit with the Suns, um, the um, mm-hmm. eight seconds or less Suns, which sort of really upped the uh, ante when it came to three pointers, and it's hard to imagine that ever going away just because players are, I mean, so good at threes and they're growing up shooting threes, obviously, because they know that there's that incentive. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Michael Jordan never had to sort of practice a three pointer uh, growing up. And so in order to get the, the, to get bigs back in the, in the, in the pendulum swing, it's you'd, you'd have to figure out a way to lessen the incentives for, three-pointers I think I mean you have it now you have big guys who can shoot threes that's an amazing thing but you also have to defend threes and you know you mentioned Boban and I I just think about Roy Hibbert you know how yeah how effective and great he was not that long ago I mean he's in his early 30s still and he's out of the league uh, because yeah it, it's it's hard to um, imagine, but I wouldn't bet against it because if the history of basketball has taught us anything, it's that it's always changing and things may swing back. And you know what? Like you mentioned Michael Jordan, another dominant big man could, you know, with a really special skill set and, you know, who could who could kind of uh, conjure up magic inside that might swing it the other way. But gosh, it's it's hard to predict. And I don't think anyone could predict the game would look like it does today. T- 20 years ago even so it's pretty wild
2: yeah in uh, in your discussions with with all the different experts that you
1: viewed um
2: you know one common topic that's been thrown around and something that we see that kind of trends on twitter every now and then is like making the logo shot so like mm-hmm. you know just within half core range um going kind of on on the other end rather than the pendulum swinging back maybe progression forward did did anyone you use- speak to mention like the possibility of a four point shot or or things along those lines what are your thoughts on that yeah so i that?
1: i spoke with um with kirk Goldsberry about that too and, and he hates that idea just because um <laughs> he and and uh he's not alone I, I i agree with him somewhat is that the art of the mid-range game is 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 disappearing and mm. loves seeing post up plays and he said you know using his maps he found like the hardest place on the floor where the lowest percentage of shots are made or, or that little elbow um, you know, with your back to the basket having to go over a defender. And if there's ever a way of incentivizing that shot, making that worth four points, at least mm. in his estimation, his, his uh, recommendation, that's where you should put the four point line inside where you can do that. But uh, mm. who knows? I mean, I love, I love watching Dame Willard shoot from a million miles away. It's the coolest yeah. thing. Uh, and it's almost in my mind, even cooler and more badass that it's not worth four points. You know, it's like, I'm just taking the shot. It's worth three points. I just, because I know I can make it. I'm that confident. And that's like, that's pretty cool.
2: Agreed.
0: Nick, um, to your point about shooting, I, I kind of want to shift to dribbling because um, your book goes mm-hmm. into to detail with that. And I noticed that with the history of the game, it was very rigid, um, very not willing to really experiment with just different um i guess variations of the game earlier on and i wanted to ask you just the way basketball is in terms of i believe it's a lot more of a fluid creative um a game based on improvisation compared to mm-hmm. other team sports do you think the, uh, the james naismith other basketball purists how would you, do you think they would feel just watching you know I guess um, athletes participating like at Rucker park or, and one, or just even like the Harlem Globetrotters, those that um, purposely just mess with the um, structure of the game and turn it upside down. Do you think they'd be highly offended by that? Or do you think they would find
1: it more, Hey, they're, they're, they're taking the game and evolving it. Yeah, I, I think, well, it depends who it is. Naismith in particular, I think would really think it was pretty cool. Um, because, you know, in his rules, you weren't allowed to move with a basketball, which is crazy. You know, it's that's not basketball. We don't know <laughs> it as basketball. Um, but, you know, some players at, at Yale, uh, the story goes, invented dribbling by passing to themselves. And, and, and Naismith actually liked that. He liked anything that made the game more enjoyable for the players and for the fans. Um, he didn't care uh, about, I mean, he didn't make any money from basketball. He um, rejected any sort of... Um, chances to copyright it, uh, his whole sort of thing was, this is for fun. And this is for, you know, people to learn, um, learn how to kind of while playing within the rules, but, but also sort of, uh, experimenting when, when that's appropriate. And so I think especially something like Rucker Park, where it's just people showing up and playing and, you know, working out and having fun. I think he would love that. Um, what he would hate the most, I think is, uh, uh, March Madness and anything that's extremely corporatized. <laughs> um, he even wrote an essay. I think I mentioned in the book um, in the early night in the early 20th century uh, bemoaning the um, sort of the, the money driven aspect of, of college sports, even back then. So, so that he wouldn't like, but I think any, anything with, you know, sort of uh, uh, people having fun with his game, he was, he was down for it. And then you have, Early college coaches who are extremely rigid, like you mentioned, Justin, and, and and those people, I think, well, their minds would explode if they just saw five seconds of an and one mixtape. So it's sure. a good thing they didn't, I think, see that.
0: <laughs> um, to your point, Nick, you brought up this about college sports. And, and now we're seeing this fairly recently with some legislation that um, athletes within college are able to... Have more position over their likeness And make money Mm -hmm. while um, playing for these colleges How would you think um, I guess Naismith and just others Based on just your guess And that's your own opinion too Would feel about this Because now we're at a point where A lot of these college students can You know, monetize Even in high school From YouTube, Mm -hmm. social media They are huge stars Uh, Matt and I were talking about Paige Buckers Who's now a huge star at UConn Um, And just, Mm -hmm. you know I heard about her on Instagram As a high schooler And we all know about Zion And just other ones do you think? I just want your opinion and how we're knowing about these players from such a younger age, and maybe just the pressures that they have
1: when they're not in that college or professional spotlight. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be pretty confounded. Um, you know, he obviously would have would, would hated the universities and, and corporate elements and entities making money off of college players. But I think any you know anyone making money off of his game, he always thought was I think a little a little weird. Um, He, again, he just kept, he, he he thought it's just a game. That's what he thought it was. It's just a game. He didn't even care about winning or losing, which explains his terrible record as a coach in Kansas. (laughs) Um, uh, So I think the sort of, you know, him, him, the entire, from start to finish, the idea of, of basketball as a corporatized and money-making endeavor would have, just blown him away, and, and not necessarily in a good way. Can you talk but, about? But it's not his. His not. Just, he's he's gone, so it's not up to right. him now. Yeah,
2: sure. <laughs> right, Nick. Can you can you talk a little bit about? And uh, you know, I don't I don't want to give away anything in the book. Uh, definitely check that out, you guys. But um, can you talk about how ball was kind of able to spread like a wildfire in in the 1900s? I mean, it came from. Such um, such an obscure location, and then mm-hmm. you know I, I think because of structure and like you talk about the thirteen rules that Naismith mm-hmm. invented, and, and we talked about earlier about dribbling and how you're able to kind of uh, tweak these rules a little bit or manipulate them, however you want to put it. Uh, can you just talk about the mass appeal of basketball and how that was able to
1: grow? For sure. I mean, this was uh, such a right place, right time kind of thing. Um, mm. It was. Invented for kids to or not kids. these were you know young adults at the YMCA uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts to, to play. And the fact that it was at the YMCA, which even in the late 1800s um, had this huge footprint around the world. There were YMCAs all you know on continent you know, spread around the globe. And so the fact that they could take Naismith's rules and put it in the YMCA paper, and then, you know, weeks later, boom. You know, people all over the country have the same idea of the game as those in Springfield. Um, and it was, you know, the kind of thing that 10, 20 years prior couldn't have happened. I must say that they um, didn't specify which ball you're supposed to use uh, or I believe what height the uh, hoops were at in those mm-hmm. original rules when they published it in the newspaper. So there was a few weeks where really weird versions of basketball uh, were being <laughs> played. Uh that were lost when those corrections went out in the YMCA newspaper. But yeah, it's, he got lucky. He, you know, it makes you think how many amazing games someone's inventing in their driveway or invented, you know, uh, with friends that just didn't pick up because they didn't have that sort of, I talked to a a game designer for, for this section about his original rules and he called that an embedded base. You know, if you're making a, a game for the computer, everyone's got a computer now, so you can, Put it up there, and, and, and people will play it. Back then, the YMCA was this embedded base where, where everyone could sort of uh, uh, learn from learn the game and, and and play it at their their local YMCA too. Hmm.
0: Nick, um, I just want to ask you about. The the YMCA, you brought that up just because, Mm -hmm. you know, in middle school, I was a member of the YMCA, but it's kind of one of those things I have, especially as a youngster, no reference as to how important the YMCA really was. So can you kind of go over as an organization, how important um, was the YMCA just in general and also to the game of basketball? Because you mentioned in the book that if it wasn't for the YMCA, the sport maybe would have
1: remained regional. Can can you kind of go in more detail about that? Yeah, no, I mean... For example, there was a there were YMCA's in China in the late 1800s. I mean, it be, it became a global game because of the YMCA and the fact that it was an organization that was not just dedicated to religion or just to, you know, education as in, you know, reading books and things. It it, it cherished and sort of prioritized physical fitness and physical education, which is what Naismith was tasked with doing. Was, he was used a PE teacher. Um, and right now it's, you know, it it seems kind of obvious, but back then there weren't that many, I guess, venues for, for young people, uh, to sort of play games and sports and, 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 and I guess run around and in the case of the Springfield YMCA let off some steam because it's, you know, freezing outside and the only other diversion these, people had was to beat each other up. So Naismith had to invent a game, but yeah, the YMCA was, was a organization, I guess, much like it is today where it's, it's, it seems simple, just a place for people to, you know, learn and play. And, and back then it, it just happened to sort of really make basketball what it is. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about. And again, how lucky, you know, could have, he could have been a teacher at a, just a normal High school or or, or college in, in New England, and and no one would ever know the game of basketball.
2: Mm. Nick, did you happen to look into um, kind of like because I, I would say you know obviously American football is is huge in America, mm-hmm. um, but soccer or <clears throat> football to the rest of the world is I would say what I've seen anyway, uh, still the most popular sport globally. Mm-hmm. I um, there is any chance that basketball in the future down the road can kind of take that number one spot? I, I would say on a global scale, it seems like basketball is number two right now, unless I'm missing a yeah. big sport. But is, is basketball in a position to
1: continue growing from what you've seen and what you've researched? Uh, most definitely. I mean, because when you look at the <clears throat> biggest sports in the world, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's soccer and it's uh, cricket and, and, and basketball, um, hmm. obviously cricket has it, you know, in, in India and, and and parts of Asia, it's, 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 it's huge there. Um, but the advantage that basketball, I think, has over something like cricket is uh, it's pretty simple. Whereas cricket, anyone who's tried to watch cricket can tell you, um, I, I still <laughs> I've tried. I don't you know, there's the, the game, the matches last multiple days sometimes. Yeah. I don't know uh, where everyone's standing, um, but not to besmirch cricket too much. I don't know how many of your listeners are devout uh, cricket enthusiasts, um, <laughs> but the, the simplicity of basketball like soccer uh, makes it extremely likely to, you know, just catch on and whether, you know, o- overtaking soccer is, it's it's hard to imagine that happening, but then again, it's hard to imagine basketball becoming as popular as it has. Um, you see how many great players from all around the world, are in the NBA. um, And it's just going to keep going like that. I mean, it's, 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 there is, yeah, if it became the the biggest sport in the world, I think that'd be pretty cool. And, and it's, it definitely has what it uh, needs to, I think, to, to really do that. Um,
0: Nick, the book also goes into the 1980s in terms of the NBA transitioning into Michael Jordan taking over the league. And yeah. also, you also mentioned, in terms of a presentation <clears throat> standpoint, slow motion replays. And I mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting because. I guess when I was really younger, I do remember wide world of sports on ABC being a huge deal. And I didn't have, I didn't have cable at the time, but just seeing the intro and just the, the slow motion shots of that being really iconic before. Now we have 4k and all these camera angles yeah. and all this technology. <laughs> it's pretty insane, but can you just put into context as to how important slow motion was in terms of telling
1: more of that visual story of not yeah, only just basketball, sure. but other sports as well. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> this is something that I I learned in researching the book. Really, it, it was you know we take slow motion for granted. I always just thought as long as there's been televised sports, there's been there's been players jumping and weaving through. Slow mo's been there, but that's not true. I mean, it's it, it was invented in the in the 60s, but it was a really clunky slow uh, technology. It's not slow in the way it intended, but. You know, you'd have a separate machine for slow-mo. You'd have to process it through these refrigerator-sized tape decks, um, and you'd be lucky to have a slow-mo clip by the end of the game. Um, But in the middle of the 80s, uh, the technology evolved, and it became something you could do instantaneous slow motion. And it went from being choppy and blurry and only one angle to multiple angles. And coincidentally, this is when the sort of... uh, most athletic, um, amazing athlete the world has ever seen entered the NBA. And you have Michael Jordan, not only, you know, flying through the air in real time, which is obviously impressive in its own right. You have these production crews able to slow it down. And he knew, you know, he, 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 there's quotes of him saying, I, I, I know that if I kind of flare my legs, I can give it the impression that I'm, 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 floating in space he knew how to sort of play to that um illusion of 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 flight and you know i talked to a um uh, a professor who's done lots of studies on time perception and awe and um you know when, when when we have moments of awe there's this um time can slow down for the observer too and when you actually slow down things themselves that can manufacture this sensation of awe um and so, you, what you have is basically something that's already amazing being slowed down to make it even more amazing. And uh, it's almost like the the what we were just talking about with with Naismith and and the YMCA being perfect timing. The fact that of all people, Michael Jordan came to the scene when slow motion really became a thing was um, <laughs> extremely serendipitous for for everyone.
2: Yeah, good fate for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. nick I, since we're talking about slow motion replay which which i think is obviously a great thing um w- one of the only weaknesses if i were to critique the nba as as a product mm-hmm. which oh. don't get me wrong i love basketball i think it's the beautiful sport there is i think i, it's think I know it's going to watch but <laughs> yeah last yeah, 2 minutes of games can take <laughs> 15 minutes maybe even longer in some cases mm-hmm. sometimes drama of that is good in in the playoffs i think but mm. di- did you talk about this topic with any of the experts you interviewed and and what are your thoughts on maybe some some potential solutions to um, something that sometimes i think is the biggest problem with the sport
1: oh yeah no i i don't think you're alone i in fact i think i'm very weird uh in that i never really minded it mostly because i um my kind of attention flutters everywhere and those breaks, I, I have time to kind of check my phone and, 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 and look elsewhere. And, and it's, um, it's almost like a, um, a little uh, ADHD break for myself. Um, but I, I understand why it's uh, it, it's so annoying and gosh, I think, well, they have the, the, the replay center in Secaucus, um, which is a great idea except it doesn't seem to be speeding things up um it'd be nice if things like um out of bounds which you'd assume could be made from that remote headquarters you know referee wearing an earpiece they don't it's annoying that they have to go over to the monitor at the side of the court and still look at the replays when they're already being looked at in New Jersey. It'd be nice if they could cut that out and just have, you know, an earpiece and the person sitting there says, Oh, that was inbounds or that was out of bounds. Um, that would be a, an obvious choice, but then you have things more subjective um, with the replay, you know, fouling and, and things like that. And that's always going to be tough. But I do think that, you know, I think one thing that would help a lot is if, uh they just muted Jeff Van Gundy complaining about the replays <laughs> during the games. I think that would uh I think you know it would still be annoying and, and, and long and but it wouldn't be quite as tedious. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yes. Sometimes I I enjoy his complaining for some reason. It's just like uh, yeah. <laughs> an a quiet. I, mean, like, I like Van Gundy, I, but I yeah, know. that's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, for sure.
1: <laughs> it's uh, after you've heard you've heard one rant about his, his <laughs> one of his rants about replay. I think you've heard them all for sure. Um, Nick, to
0: to that point with Van Gundy, and I noticed him and. I think a little bit more Jackson, but more you see with it like inside the NBA with um, Shaq Mm -hmm. and Charles Barkley, that more get off your lawn mentality in terms of like (laughs) the lower generation and the the newer generation. I guess since basketball is evolving so quickly and and you mentioned along with Matt, you know, Damian Lillard taking shots from the logo, you know, Trey Young, Steph Curry's doing this. Do you see the game going to a point where it's so, I guess it's veered off, to to just a space that's not resembling what the core fundamentals of the game originally was, Mm. is that perhaps a a danger at that point that you see, or should just the game just be allowed to just evolve naturally? And and this is a second question to that. Do you see any parts of basketball that you think will, is bulletproof that will remain steady no matter Mm. what changes happen throughout, throughout time, I guess.
1: That's interesting. Um, so to your first question, um, Gosh, I do think it's uh, old timers complaining about the new generation. I think is something that's always going to happen, whether or not they have a point, um, you know. And you have it, part of me enjoys that because it puts into relief how much basketball has changed, and it it it's a way of acknowledging, wow, this is much different. And I think that's interesting. And then you can have these debates on is it is this better? Is that is that better? And I think that's you know that's all. Worthwhile, um, you know. I think when when Shaq was really weird to Donovan Mitchell and <laughs> and sort of was doing really pulling his old timer card, that's weird. But that's also just a just kind of thing that you have to have a delicate balance with. Because again, I do think it's cool to have the generational differences because it it it, it basically makes the game. Um. It makes it, it makes it evident that the game is a changing entity. And that's a good thing. Um, as to, uh, you know, just how much is good of that change and how much is bad the game does. It is able to self-regulate. Um, if it does get out of hand, then the rules change. You saw that in the uh, middle of the century when there was too much stalling, boom, the shot clock comes in. Um, this is the kind of thing that a lot of people, uh, have, money invested in and, and, and if if it's, if it's entertained to watch, if it makes the game more entertained to watch, I believe that eventually may not always be a direct route, but you'll get there. Um, uh, And going back into your second point, what won't change? um, Gosh, I would say free throws because that really is one of the few things that stayed steady, but there are people saying, Oh, every, you know, there are too many free throws. It's, it's, it's boring. There should be one free throw you get one free throw that if you make it, you get two points. If you miss it, you get zero points. I mean, I've heard that um, Hmm. sort of suggested change. I, but still, I think free throws, it breaks up the game. The players need the rest there. Um, It's such a simple, uh, obvious sort of uh, approach to a problem, which would be fouling. Um, Yeah. I think free throws are are here, here to stay. And they're they're. I don't think people will get better at them, but I think (laughs) they're here to stay yeah i wonder if if people
2: uh people wanting to abolish free throws have ever run fives um Ooh, <laughs> how <yeah>. exhausting <laughs> basketball is that that seems yeah. like a solution from someone who maybe is is watching the game a lot hasn't played i not not to be mean to anyone who has that opinion but
1: oh no as someone who watches the game or not and doesn't play that much, I will say that uh watching people running fives not too bad it's kind of entertaining actually <laughs>
2: <laughs> right right. <laughs>
1: But, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's a breather. And we forget often watching, especially in the NBA, where these are the best athletes in the world, that, man, that must be tiring. <laughs> Matt, did you have another
0: question?
2: No, go ahead, Justin. Go ahead with yours.
0: Okay. Um, just a final question for you, Nick, and then uh, we'll let you sure. go. Um Great. I want to kind of ask you about basketball with the pandemic and just in terms Mm. of how do you think the game has been affected from that standpoint just because the normal pipeline of talent from, you know, middle school, high school, college pros to just people being able to play in the park that that was stopped in 2020. Do you see that? being a major disturbance in the evolution of the Hmm. game or do you think that's just going to be a blip on the radar if we do hopefully get out of this and everything goes back to normal
1: yeah like with so many things with the the pandemic it's so hard to predict uh the future with it um as far as that's interesting i haven't thought about that as it being a a disruption you know I'll, i'll see um Sometimes on Instagram they'll have highlights of the great, you know, the best high school players, and you'll see these kids playing in masks. And mm. I just think, man, this is wild. And I think when when they're in the NBA and they're you know running their rolling their old high school footage, it's going to be a kind of uh, we'll get PTSD of of, of, of seeing this <laughs> replaying this horrible time over again. But um, you know, it's 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 so hard to 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 say. I think. Um, you know people still are playing it's it's uh, it, it might be a blip because evolution, um, whether it's literal evolution or the evolution of a game it takes takes time. I thought for example the the quality of play in the bubble was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of theories about that. The one that I think is correct is just the fact that there are only twenty two teams, and if you get rid of the eight worst teams of the in the NBA. The games are gonna be more competitive. It's pretty obvious, but nonetheless, I thought um, the quality of play was 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 great, and uh, so I, I that I think was a, a weird and and you know I guess you know, I don't want to say pleasant surprise because everything about you know these players being in a uh, hermetically sealed inside a Disney bubble is is weird and, and not ideal. But I thought that was a a pleasant side effect. Um, now the current season I'm enjoying watching it, um, it I, I think it's a, a side effect of the very short off season that it does seem like defense is more optional uh, than ever and, and, and players are taking more plays off and I don't blame them I mean they had almost no time um, to turn around but that's the kind of thing that will that have long-term effects um, gosh I, I really don't know I mean It'd be one thing if the NBA saw the bubble and, and said, you know what, the the quality is, is so much better. We're going to contract the league, but that's never going to happen in a million years. So <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to be a, a, a evolutionary change in that regard. But yeah, it's one of those things where I guess you just got to wait and see.
0: Well, Nick, thank you very much for um, joining the show. We really enjoyed your book. Please um, let our listeners and viewers know where we can um, find the book and any other um, projects you're working on in the new year and also where we can find you on social media as well.
1: Sure. Well, I want to thank you guys for for having me on. This was great. Um, I really appreciate it. The book is called How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius. It's sold where uh, you can buy it wherever <laughs> books are sold. Um, uh, and online, I... I, I do a lot of writing for slate and you can find me at nick green on twitter green with the e on the end um uh otherwise uh yeah just uh enjoy the book if you like weird uh weird things about basketball and, and other uh aspects of life uh it might be for you so check it out
2: <laughs> and I, I would plug very modest there nick i, I would plug also if you want an in depth history, learn some new things about the history of the league. Really, truly a great read. Thank you so much. Well, for thank you. Us, Nick. Agreed.
1: Thanks again. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Welcome to another episode of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum. joined my Matt Thomas. What's up, man?
2: Man, nothing and everything again. Busy weekend, but uh, not too much interesting to report. What's going on with you?
0: Uh, Yeah, same deal. Nothing much. Uh, Spent the week up in uh, Denver. Just got back. uh, Saw a little bit of snow. But um, for those listening to the podcast feed, you just heard the interview with Nick Green. And then those watching on YouTube, you can check that out on our um, YouTube stream. A great conversation with Nick Green, um, the author of How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius, an excellent book coming out uh, March 2nd. Um, this Tuesday, if you're listening to this on, um, on Monday. Um, just not sure. YouTube's so weird with dates and trying to like approximate that. It's always a weird thing. <laughs> but you know March 2nd, 2021, check out the book available at any... Um, book retailer, an excellent read and Nick was an excellent interview. If you're looking just to get just an overview of the game, not only from an NBA perspective, but just from a global perspective and from a historical perspective, he was um an awesome interview. It was a pleasure to have him on.
2: Hundred percent agree with you. And yeah, really uh we were talking about it, but a dense read, but a very, very fun read too. And you learn a lot about the origins of the sport. So really, like, even if you're not an NBA diehard fan, like maybe you're a college basketball person, you can plug into this book. It's it's just kind of about basketball as a sport in general. So really, really enjoyable read for anyone semi-interested in basketball.
0: So on today's show, we're going to discuss this surprising topic, somewhat, and I guess spearheaded by Kyrie Irving, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> he's at it again. Yeah, the at least at least this is an interesting topic to discuss, so I'm not opposed to it, even though I may or may not agree. We'll see. Um, and that is the changing of the NBA logo. So we'll hop into that, and we'll discuss the NBA title contenders. So we're approaching the All Star break. The All Star game is going to be a week from today. We're just going to be March 7th, and as you know, will be the game, the three point contest, and the slam dunk all into one so that we thought it would be a good time to discuss the teams that will be making a move towards the um, NBA championship so we'll discuss that but first Matt you have your trending topics in the league
2: yes and just as a reminder we do this every week since we are a weekly show I feel it's good to always update you guys on what teams are hot what teams are cold around the league so let's get right into it in the east The Heat, yes, the Miami Heat, that team that's been at the bottom of the Eastern Conference shockingly this year after making the finals last year. They have won their last five. Jimmy Buckets is back doing work there. Uh, The Bucks have won their last four. And the Cavs, who had a nine-game losing streak when we talked last week, they have won their last three. So they're starting to bounce back. Um, On the losing side in the East, the Pacers have lost their last three. I don't know if this is going to be a curse or something since we had Pat Boylan on last week talking about the Pacers. Now they lost three. I hope not. Knock on wood. We'll we'll just keep that keep that on the down low, right, Justin? Um, and the Magic have also lost their last three. So those are some trends on the East. Looking at the West, the Warriors. Speaking of those Warriors, uh, I thought it'd be good to mention we talked about Draymond drama last week and that Hornets game specifically. He did come out and apologize to his team and basically just claim responsibility that he shouldn't have lost his cool like that at the end of the game. Seems like he and Steve Kerr are on the same page once again because Kerr, as as you recall, was critical of Draymond for how he melted down anyway. Just bridge under, or I'm sorry, water under the bridge at this point. The Warriors have won their last three. They're seven and three in their last 10. So the Warriors are looking good. We didn't have any other positive streaks in the West, but the Suns have won eight of their last 10 games. And the jazz have also won eight of their last 10 games. So those teams both looking very, very hot. Um, Oh gosh. I I have to mention this again. This is a continuation of last week, but my rockets are the worst trend in the league right now. They have lost their last 10. Uh, The Timberwolves have lost their last seven in spite of Anthony Edwards. We didn't even talk about this last week, Justin, but in spite of Anthony Edwards throwing down the dunk of the year, things haven't changed in Minnesota. The Timberwolves, have lost their last seven. The Blazers have lost their last four. A couple quick headlines for you guys. DeMontis Sabonis is going to replace Kevin Durant in the all-star game. So Kevin Durant is out with a hamstring injury. Um, There are some trade rumors going around. Interesting trade rumors. Kyle Lowry has kind of indicated he'd be happy to go to Philadelphia, which could make that team very, very interesting. More of a contender in my opinion for, uh, the title. And then, you know, you're, you're going to be pushing things back with the Raptors, but that's probably where they are. Uh, also trades about Porzingis, Kristaps Porzingis from the Mavericks, uh, after he has had some more injury troubles and there have been questions all year long about his fit on that team and his fit with Luca, um, and, and really his overall value. So I don't know, in my opinion, you'd be selling pretty low with Porzingis right now. Last thing I have on our trends, and then we can get into it, Justin, is um, Adam Silver said this week that the fan voting justifies the All-Star game being played. He, he says that um, because the fan voting looks very similar in terms of overall numbers compared to last year, it provides a good incentive and justification for the All-Star game to go on. We know that Adam Silver is uh working with the owner so of course he is looking at the business side of things in the league so take that with a grain of salt but i did find it interesting that the all-star voting the numbers are very very similar and over 100 million all-star votes cast
0: so he's saying in terms of number of votes cast not necessarily starters just total number of participation with the voting right
2: yeah, he's saying okay. that the the fan interest is there. Got like it. the the amount of Understood. votes that they received indicates that the fans are just as into this as they were last year, and and want the oh. All Star Game just as much. In in his opinion,
0: that's some weird logic because you can do the opposite <laughs> in terms of there was less fan interest. You need an All Star Game to increase fan interest. So. You can kinda of spin it in either any way you want to. I'm in agreement with you. It's it's a money grab. TNT needs the game. So unless and there's he some was,
2: kind of COVID. I'm outbreak. sorry, he was transparent yeah. about that too. He did say yeah. that there's a business need. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the was, primary need.
0: Let's not get it twisted. It, that's <laughs> the number one need. Money fans, talks, man. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's another thing too, with Przingis. Um, I that was the primary um theme when the Mavericks were playing the Nets yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mavericks did defeat Brooklyn, and they were talking about that on the broadcast of Prazingis, um possibly being traded. He said he wasn't paying attention to it too much. Um, and other trends, and I think we'll get to this later on with contenders, um, I feel you with the Heat. I mean, I'm biased. I'm a Jimmy Butler fan, despite him not playing for Chicago anymore. I know his impact on certain teams, and you're seeing it with the record here, them only, almost being 500. So I think with the East, you're seeing kind of a top three, and then the rest of the teams basically being all in the same pack. And we'll, we'll discuss that later, the title contenders. Um, but it's good to see the Heat you know, coming back to, to life and not being dismissed as just a flash in the pan, um, as the people were stating you know, earlier in the season.
2: Yeah, they've been on a great run. I think they're 16 and 17 as of this recording, so clawing their way back up to 500. And you'd imagine that that they just keep climbing. Also, I wanted to mention, because this, this stood out to me when I was looking at standings today, your Bulls are an eighth. Yeah. How does that feel?
0: <laughs> um, It feels good. I mean, this, again, I would say a couple of games under 500 or over 500 is is gravy. And I think it, it shows Zach Levine being an all-star. I know we had one listener said, you know, where's Zach Levine in the picks? I know he's, like, top in scoring. I just... I don't know. There's just something about him. It's stupid because he plays for my team, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm happy he got the All Star nod. Is he an elite player in this league? I'm not sold on it yet. Maybe it, it's weird because I say that and then I think Trey Young is an elite player in this league. So right, it's kind of a weird logic jump there. But overall, I'm happy with Chicago. If you look at the standings, man, you take away the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks. Pretty much everybody has the same record i mean the raptors next were 500 and then you have the celtics heat um one game under and then you have the bulls pacers and hornets um two games under and the hawks three games so and that's all going from really number 4 to 11 so by the time we get to the playing games that can be all those teams can be mismatched in, in any kinds of ways and you have covid factored into that i mean one stretch of two weeks where your team's taken out by COVID, you could be out of the race. It's going to, I think, especially after the All-Star break, you have less games to make up. So it's it's just going to put teams in a very bad situation. Like, I think with the Heat, they had the luxury of time digging themselves out of that hole. If they encounter another issue with COVID, that's going to really hurt them, let alone Chicago or any other team. I know even, I think, I believe it's tomorrow, the Bulls are playing Toronto, and that game got postponed because of COVID. So that's just going to be another element in watching these uh, streaky teams.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it is going to be kind of weird looking at the standings and having to keep in mind that these teams aren't all playing the same number of games. It's it's going to be by win percentage uh, in how you are ranked in those standings, but you know, it is what it is. There's external factors and and that's been the case all year that make that difficult to predict, Um, but you're right. It's tight and it's, I think at both conferences, it's going to be pretty tight to see who, you know, it used to be, who's going to be that eighth seed, who's going to inch their way into the playoffs. And now it's, who's going to be that 10th seed. Who's going to inch their way into just getting to play for the right to be in the playoffs. So it's, it's kind of the same thing, but you've expanded more teams in competition.
0: Agreed. Um, let's get into this. I don't know if you call it a logo controversy. It's more like a logo debate. I would say, um, this is, I, I assumed the brainchild of Kyrie Irving. And he said in a press conference that Kobe Bryant should be the new NBA logo, replacing fellow Lakers legend Jerry West. Um, West excuse me. Um, he told the media, um, quote, he is the standard for our generation. Um, Jerry West didn't respond to this on an appearance on ESPN's The Jump. Um, he said, quote, I wish that i never gotten out that I'm the logo. I really do. I said it more than once, and it was flattering. That's me. I know it is me, but it is but it is flattering. I played in a time when they first started to try to market the league. There were five people that they were going to consider. I don't like to do anything to call attention to myself. So a very humble response from Jerry West. Um, Doc Rivers had comments. Um, he said, quote, I've been asked that, but I don't know the answer to that. I mean, Michael Jordan would be the logo. Listen, if you want to have a logo, Michael to me would be it. But I don't know if you want – if you – change for change, usually change things because of history and something you find out that doesn't fit. Jerry has been a deserving logo and I have no problem with him continuing to be the logo. I mean, but if we're going to do it, change the logo every 10 years or 20 years. So if I like our logo and I think we should probably stick with it, I'm probably in a minority in that thought. Um, I'm kind of with doc rivers on this, a couple of things and I'll pass it to you, Matt. First, what a disrespect to Jerry West? Um, you know, he's a Hall of Famer in this league. And I don't know, I don't want to get on, I don't want to think it's racial, but I just think along with Jerry West as a player, as it's an owner and as an impact and just an executive in this league, I think he has major contributions to the NBA. Um and, and so I personally like the logo. I think it should stay the way it is. However, if we're going to change it, a couple of things. So... This is going to sound weird because I'll admit I have a – I always joke about this. I have a first uh, membership card to the church of Michael Jordan. I think <laughs> he is a phenomenal player. He's my favorite player. I think he's the greatest of all time. However, I would feel weird with him being the logo just because there is a corporate tie there with him and Nike. So to me, it's like – I and I realize that they're already tied together. But with him being the logo, in, in a sense, you're kind of tying a league to a – corporate entity in terms of woven into I guess the I don't know it's crossing over like you're not having him as a advertiser that's does that make any sense and I don't know maybe I'm just making a big deal out of this too much but I just feel like when you have Jordan as a logo on certain teams um, uniforms in college football college basketball and then you're making his logo for the NBA I feel a little bit weird about that to be 100% honest Um, now the Kobe thing Again, if, we're, if let's just say Jordan was a wasn't you know no, and this is hard to really fathom because of how popular his shoe is, but let's say he didn't have the shoe, let's say the logo didn't exist, and let's say they're on equal footing in terms of getting them. Who's going to be the logo? Michael Jordan or Kobe? It's Jordan easily. So by that, I just I don't think Kobe should be the logo. I mean, Kobe's basis was Michael Jordan. If there was no Michael Jordan. I don't know if we would see the Mamba as he was during his career, to be quite honest. I mean, he patterned everything after Michael Jordan, and really there was no other player in the league that mimicked Kobe's competitive spirit other than Michael. So I already think I like the, you know, honoring, I believe it's the Elon ending. I think it's the Kobe ending with four, 24 points in the All-Star game, doing mm-hmm. that in honor of Kobe. Other Kobe tributes, I think it's awesome. Do it. He um, has the All
2: Star trophy too. Oh, that's right. There you go. There you go.
0: Um, And I think another issue again, it was going to bring up, and this is always going to be the case. Even when a man passed away, if you remember, with um, I forgot the woman reporter on CBS News, but when Kobe Bryant passed away, Lisa Leslie was on there, and they were asking him about the the rape allegations Uh, when he passed away. So you imagine when he becomes the logo of the league, you know people are going to go after that. I mean whether or not you think um you know cancel culture or whatever that's another debate for another show. But the point is is that you know it's gonna come up with people going into Kobe's past and him being a logo. It's gonna come up. So I think for all of those reasons, I don't feel like there should be a change. And I honestly think the logo, the NBA logo is iconic. That's an Agreed. iconic logo. To me, in my opinion, I think it's the best logo in sports. Yes. So I I just just like doc rivers says just to change it because another dedication to kobe he's being dedicated all over this league i mean he's interwoven all over into this league and it wouldn't even surprise me if the WNBA named some kind of trophy or something in his name too just because of his reverence for women's basketball too so he's going to be all over the nba and there's there's no doubt in my mind that his name will never be forgotten in years to come. And I, I just don't feel the logo should be, should be changing his honor. What, what do you think about that, Matt?
2: Yeah, I I agree with everything you just said there. Um so I'm I'm just going to try and maybe add a little bit more sure. context where I can. Uh but I agree with you. I I don't think the logo needs to change for one thing. I am with you. I I like it better than the NFL's logo. I like it better. Uh I mean MLB's logo is all right, but I I like the NBA logo. Um you know, they're very similar in some ways. Um but I I think what we have in in I you know, not to completely like speak for Kyrie Irving. Of course, he, he has his own reasons for this. I, I think one of the things that we have with this movement is um, a, the, the death of Kobe Bryant was tragic. There, there's no way around that. I think the we're feeling kind of the echoes of mourning for Kobe Bryant. Um, and, and again, there's no way around that. That was, that was a tragedy. Absolutely. And this was also the player Nowadays, you know, you you and I aren't aren't very old, Justin, but these NBA players are much younger than us. This is like their guy. This is like Kyrie's guy that he grew up watching. Fair Um, point. So I think that is part of the reason, um, or or at least one of the factors as to why the players want this logo. Kyrie also said um, that he wants the logo to be representative of people who built the league i I've certainly for myself i think jerry west qualifies for that i agree and I, with that point that Kyrie makes i i don't see why that should be um should be changed and as you were saying um you know i i don't mean any insult to kobe bryant but it, he was transparent about the fact that you know, a lot of his playing style, he was, he even did the tongue thing like Michael Jordan did a, a lot of what sure. he did was mirroring and trying to emulate what one of his idols, Michael Jordan did. Um, And that's, that's no slight on Kobe because Kobe was fantastic and and he was the best of that group in, in the two thousands that were trying to uh, kind of carry on this type of thing. And then eventually, you know, he led into a lot of positive influence with Mamba mentality and educating youth, supporting the women's side of the game, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of great things about Kobe, um, but I think you're right in terms of the controversy with what happened in Colorado. I, I won't dive into that too much, but you're right that 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 is a, a blemish. Um, and uh, you know, if if we're looking at the era of basketball. so so just to throw out something to give a different idea to maybe like a logo change other than Michael Jordan. Um, you know another interesting one I think to look at would be really in, under Kyrie's context in terms of what built the league, I think an interesting logo now I wouldn't make this change. I would keep the logo. let, let me keep it 100 but sure. um, if we're gonna change it, You know, something where you have like Bird versus Magic, I think would be interesting, where you have your greatest franchise from the East Coast and your greatest franchise from the West Coast, like the two greatest franchises in the league, this rivalry in the 80s that people remember very fondly that started the golden age of basketball that then Michael Jordan was able to carry and continue, kind of pass the torch to Michael Jordan from that era. Um, I think that would be the most interesting option to explore from things that I was quickly brainstorming. Uh, But again, I am with you and I agree with the the points that you made there. I agree with what Jerry West said, and I appreciate his humility. And I also agree with what, what doc said there. I think um, there was a lot of good perspective in those uh, in those quotes that you read there. So for me, Call me old school, call me a traditionalist, but I I would love to keep uh Jerry West as the logo as well. I, I think it it can hurt you in unexpected ways too when you change the branding. When you have something that's global, that's going well, like basketball is, I, d- I don't know why you change that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's perplexing for someone like Kyrie Irving that he's really smart to not know the history of the league. Um, Because I would get it, honestly, if it was like, you know, um, a player of the past that had maybe minimal um, historical significance, but that's not Jerry West. And he he has a huge career that he's still making impact now, and including Kobe's. So I just found it really weird. I think he's really close to Kobe. And I think that's maybe clouding his judgment Um gets this um, done. But nevertheless, it's interesting to kind of evaluate um, what's going, what's going on with this topic. But yeah, I just don't see it. See it happening. Um,
2: it does seem like there's a lot of support on this when you right. look at the comments in mm. Twitter and things like that. But again, you know, as you've told me before, like, don't read the comments. <laughs> so I, I absolutely think there's, there's wisdom in that, but, but it is interesting. It does seem to me like on social media, there's a lot of pull and we know that for the NBA specifically, I mean, the players certainly care about social media. I'm not sure how much the owners and like Adam Silver care about that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, But it, it does seem like there's a lot of support, of course, um, you know Vanessa Bryant uh Kobe Kobe Solid. Bryant's wife she yep. supports it i mean of course she wants to honor her husband uh so you know you understand that um uh also gosh i'm blanking on her name but the owner of of the lakers uh she has come out and support of that, of that as well oh, Bus. Yeah. yes thank you um she also of course was extremely co- close to kobe so yeah. i think a lot of this is an emotional reaction it's When something is thrown out as an idea like this uh, and people who are close to that person are very influential, you know, we're going to hear a lot of support for it. I I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, But I think most basketball fans, uh, and and this is just subjective, my opinion, I I think most basketball fans um, that are our age and older, uh, Justin, would be more in favor of keeping the logo as is and don't see a need to change it.
0: Well, to your point, and then we'll move on. I mean, I'm just looking on Twitter here, and, you know, I'm seeing Chris Broussard change the logo. Kendrick Perkins Um, changed the logo. Um, And I think the Kobe, I mean, we're almost past a year after his death. Um, It's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. I think that might be a factor, too. I personally, to me, um, I just don't favor it. Um, Here's a poll. from Front Office Sports, and again, this, this is a very informal poll, about 763 votes. Um, it was 58% yes, 41% no, so we're in a mm. minority. So just like um, with uh, Doc Rivers, uh, we, we seem to be on the opposite end of this um, topic here. But I think I think nevertheless, I think the league should really think about the ramifications of doing this, like you said, Matt, because this is not just a, you know, putting a name on an all-star trophy or, you know, renaming, you know, the last minutes of a, an all-star game. I mean, this has pretty huge ramifications. I mean, it's the whole identity of your league. And I just don't feel there's a need to change it. But, um, you know, you know Twitter and everything, I mean, it kind of depends what Kyrie wants to do. If he wants to really push this, that's up to him. If, you know, he's not pushing it and it comes October, we're not even talking about it, then it's, this is a new point. So, um the ball's in Kyrie's court if he really wants to make this happen.
2: And I think he he needs to get owners on board. I, th- I think once yeah. you have like owners commenting that they want this, that's where we might see actual traction. Uh, so I, I think if if Kyrie is able to connect to the owners that way, that's probably the pathway that you see this advancing. Um, agree. But I, I agree with what you said.
0: Let's move on and break down the title contenders that we think that's going to make some noise in the second half of the season. This has been a weird season, as you already have known. I mean, it's been talked about ad nauseum, and I think I'll go first, Matt, real quick, because I know you have some pretty big thoughts about these teams. I think it's pretty clear who the the elite teams are, honestly. I'm way more excited about the play-in tournament, (laughs) to be quite honest. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just because I think even with the Wizards, I would say take out the Magic, Cavaliers, and Pistons, just the Wizards moving on up to maybe that seventh seed. Even the sixth seed, quite honestly, you know, that's going to be very competitive in the east and i'm very excited to see all those teams they seem motivated they seem like you know if their lineups are fully healthy that you know they want to win that includes the bulls we were talking off there that's a nice sight to see you know chicago being competitive Mm -hmm. for me i think it's pretty basic i know i'm not going out on the limb here but i think the sixers nets and bucks are the top teams in the east i think the 76ers just looking at them defensively, I believe they were playing the Mavericks. They were sensational when they, they were playing the Mavericks. I think it was Thursday night. They looked really good. Um, my question is still Ben Simmons. Like Charles Barkley says, to be an elite player in this league, you can't you have to score more than 15, 16 points. I, I just don't understand that. Um, and I think it's weird because we see somebody like a Rondo in the past that Rondo had got so much respect, but he wasn't considered like this elite you know, game changing point guard. Like people were appreciated Rondo. So I kind of view Ben Simmons in that kind of way. Until he steps up to his shooting and we're celebrating the dude hitting like his third three pointer in the season. I don't think they're a contender to win the title. <laughs> I think they're a top team. Um I think what's gonna be interesting is seeing the seventy sixers versus Brooklyn matchup. I'm looking forward to that just to see what happens in terms of a big man like Joel Embiid being able to cause havoc versus, you know, three elite killer guards um, with Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. So I like that matchup because, you know, the Nets have a huge weakness um, defensively with their big men. And then with the Bucks, um again, I think they are a top team. I wasn't sold on them in the bubble. Um, I'm not definitely not sold on them now. I think the 76ers and Brooklyn takes them out in the playoffs. So those are my top three teams. I don't see anybody else really hopping into that. They're all all the other teams are mediocre and they're fighting COVID. I think the biggest disappointment has been the Boston Celtics. I mean, yes. where is Jason Tatum? Where is Jalen Brown? And where is Kemba Walker? I mean, based Kimba on their talent,
2: mm-hmm.
0: based on their talent, these are you know they should be a big three to rival Brooklyn. They should based on their talent. I mean, all the yeah. excuses are gone. There's no Gordon Hayward. Kyrie Irving's not there. I mean, where's the progression? And I think they've been a disappointment. So overall, those are my top three teams in the East. Um,
2: the West. Let's let's pause on the East real oh, quick. Yeah, uh, One one team I wanted to add. Sure. Or consider. You know, I I think it's your your commentary is spot on there with the Nets versus the Sixers and how Embiid can give problems. I think interestingly enough about the Sixers, I I just wanted to add that you know a lot of. Voices around the league, and I think Ben Simmons himself—they've kind of tried to build Ben Simmons as this defensive threat and so. <laughs> on on the Sixers, you know, and, and fairly so. He's he's been legit he's on, on the defensive side. percent. You're, you're correct on you know, of course, the scoring concerns, things like that. Celebrating a three pointer, um, you know, um, but I, I wonder if you know the Sixers. With two potential Defensive Player of the Year candidates in both Embiid and Simmons, you know, that's kind of the kryptonite to this Nets team. You know, you get perimeter scores around Embiid. You get a guy who maybe he can't score, but he can distribute to those guys like Seth Curry who can knock down jumpers that's going to be fascinating. I, I really, I hope we see that match out play matchup play out in the Eastern conference. Uh, I have those same three contenders as you. The other one I put in since they've been streaking and since they made noise last year is the Miami heat uh, as kind of the dark horse. You know, I, I don't think we're the, either of us, myself included, we're not as hot on them as we were um, with the expectations we had coming into the season They've kind of dug themselves in a hole, and a lot of that, of course, has been uh, extenuating circumstances like Jimmy Butler being gone for a while. But again, if, if this is a team that they run into the Bucks in the first round, maybe it's a 6-3 matchup or whatever, I, I think they can make some noise moving forward. I think they could upset a 76ers team as constructed. I don't know if they could keep up with the Nets um so i do have some reservations there but i would also throw them in as a dark horse i I don't have like the pacers i don't have the celtics as a dark horse i I just can't take them seriously as contenders as they are now even though like you said the the talent is there on uh the celtics so anyway that's what i had for the east um if if you want to move on to the west feel free or did you have any thoughts on that
0: um a couple of thoughts real quick um with the heat I'm not high on them just because of Tyler heroes. I mean, he's had injuries, hey, COVID. Yeah. I can't ride with them until he gets a hundred percent. I'd rather pick Boston, um, and just see if they can just figure it out. But I, I get what you're saying They're mm-hmm. And I think they're the heat are a sexy team to pick, but I just think, you know, not having Tyler hero, um, just at the level as he was, I think is a big deficiency, very similar to what we'll probably talk about with the nuggets. Um, just with their players as well. Um, just in terms of Jamal Murray, I mean, that's, that's been an issue. You know, he's supposed to take this massive jump. I haven't necessarily seen it. Um, so I, I totally, I get why you picked that. I'm just not sold on it in terms of to what's going on. Um, I, I'm down to move on to the Wested If you are a man.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying I would pick the heat as the favorites. I'm well, just no, just dark horse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, of course. Um,
0: my Western Conference team's pretty boring as well. Um, it's kinda I don't know. I wanna go with the Dark Horse first. I know that's a weird order to go in. I'm conflicted by really three teams. I mean, I like the Blazers, Warriors, and Nuggets. I know they're in there. Um, I was kind of on the Mavericks bandwagon before the season started, but I think Prazing is taking a step back and I just I know he's on the trade block. It's just I can't go that far to pick him as a dark horse team to be any kind of a threat there. Um, I think what's going to be fairly interesting is no one's really talking about the Spurs. They're the fifth seed and they're seventeen yeah. and twelve. Um, it's weird. You know, you know, with, <laughs> you know with Popovich, once he gets into the playoffs, anything can happen. And you know, they have the Demar Derozan. Um, they have LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, those are you know, those are two elite players in this league. I mean they don't even kind of forgotten about maybe last year but that's not a team to sleep on i will say in terms of my overall dark horse team i still gonna go with the nuggets i just think with um nikolai I don't always butcher his name um jokic, jokic I,
2: yeah
0: they I mean he's just such a certain times you see him play very similar to luka i mean i'm like wait, this this guy's the best player in the league um we just see him on some nights um just just the way he can transform the game and i, I don't know maybe it's just me and the, the bubbles talking i'm just really sold on them i i don't know the, i almost want to go with the warriors but they just don't have enough depth to me um But it's cool to see them at least bounce back. I mean, they're at a 7th seed now. But the Nuggets are going to be my dark horse team. Everything else is pretty basic. I would say Jazz, um, Clippers, Lakers. I think the big thing is with the Lakers, what happens with Anthony Davis. Um, And really, the good news for the Lakers is, quite honestly, as long as they don't tailspin and just lose a ton of games on the road— they could be the fifth seed or even the sixth seed. As long as they're not in the play-in tournament, who cares? I mm-hmm. mean, home court is irrelevant, so it doesn't matter. I mean, I would, I'm i sure another thing to consider is maybe the travel. So I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. I don't think they're doing a bubble for the playoffs. I think it's just going to be straight up going to different arenas, especially um, with all the the cases going down with the pandemic. Um, you know, getting fans back into the arenas. I think they, they want to have more of a typical playoff setup. So in saying that, um, I don't think it's going to be as quite a home court advantage. Um, as Pat Boyle I mentioned, earlier. you only have 2,000 fans. There. I think it's going to be very similar when the playoffs start. Yeah. But I think with the Lakers, they don't need that number one seed. I think something in terms of momentum for like a Utah Jazz or even an L.A. Clippers, they do. Um, I still consider the Lakers the perennial favorite to win the title um, despite Anthony Davis being hurt and they have to sit him multiple games and probably it's the best time to sit a player. You don't have any fans there. Um, and other than as long as, you know, if he's healthy enough to play on the national TV games, the other games are irrelevant. He can sit. I mean, there's not that that pressure for him to play. I mean, there's no fans and the game's not nationally televised. Who cares? So, I think from that aspect, the Lakers will be able to recover and, you know, they you know they've won one, um, and their record's very similar. I mean, they're only about four games back from the Utah Jazz, that's not a, too far away. So, I mean, those are my teams, and not anything surprising. I wish I can just be like, I don't know, the Grizzlies are gonna make a run or something. Um, but I can't, um, my picks are pretty boring. How about yours, man?
2: Yeah, let me ask you this before I, I sure. expand on this because full disclosure, I, I have the same four teams, uh, the Nuggets. Yes, a dark horse, but I also think when you have someone who is a top three MVP candidate like I Jokic is, I mean, he's he's a beast. He has that potential to go off in the playoffs and get his team going enough to where I think they're a threat even at like the sixth seed. Um, now, that puts them at a big disadvantage. I, I think they need the wins more than a team like the Lakers. Uh, but but I, I think there's still something there to where... Jokic is so good that they're almost not a dark horse pick. The only reason I think you and I are agreement that they are is because of we're not sure about Jamal Murray, and they stumbled out of the gates this year. They stumbled out of the blocks, um, you know, fallen uh, with a bad record to start the year. But let me ask you this. How much do you buy the Jazz as a contender? They're 27-7. and They have historically great three-point shooting Uh, that you and I talked about a couple weeks ago. Do you think that's something that is replicable in the playoffs for this team? For me, I, I don't know if it's just like a nineties thing that I was always cheering for Jordan against those jazz teams. But for me, I, they're on my contenders list. I respect their record and I respect what they've done, but I I'm still on the fence as to whether I think they can replicate that in the playoffs. And as to whether, um, they can keep Rudy Gobert on the court realistically in fourth quarters in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on that? Do you buy them as serious contenders or are they more like a dark horse even as the one seed in the West?
0: Yeah, I get it. I'm not sold on him. Based on their performance in the bubble, when you get into the playoffs, there's just a, a different gear. It's very similar to the James Harden situation, right? Where you know... You know which guy which teams and which um, players are for real or not. And I just don't trust the Jazz in the situation. Now what's gonna be interesting is that uh, looking at these other teams, you know, with travel and everything involved in that. I mean just looking at you know, look at we could have a one A matchup with the Nuggets. That could very well happen. And mm-hmm. the Nuggets could I think fairly easily beat the Utah Jazz. They probably be the favorite. You know, in my opinion, so when you're headed to the playoff bracketing, and when you can easily be bounced, and not even be the favorite when you're the number one seed, that's going to be a massive issue. So because of that, no, I, I don't think they're a legit contender in my in my eyes. Now we'll see if Donovan Mitchell can. This might be a transformative um, season for him, and in the playoffs as well, to evolve himself into just not an all-star, but a a superstar caliber player, this is the time to do it. You're the number one seed. You had Shaq hating on you. You have all these people doubting you. You seem like you and Gobert are at least workable terms considering what happened last season. This is Mm -hmm. the time to do it. So I will say, make me a believer. If not, I'd be fairly surprised if they're not able to make a long run into... Um, the Western Conference um, finals, I don't know if they ever will, to be quite honest, uh, as the way the Jazz are
2: currently constructed. Jazz fans, get at us in the comments. Tell right. us. <laughs> tell For us sure. where we're right, where we're wrong, yeah. why we should believe a little bit more. Another thing I wanted to discuss was with the Clippers. I mean, I, I think, you know, respect is earned they're, they're having a great season. When we had Casey Kiernan of AM hoops on the podcast, you guys can check out that interview. Um, He mentioned how, how great their three point shooting was as well. And how everyone, at least at the time we recorded that in their starting five was shooting 40% or better from the three point line. Again, that's something where, you know, I, I don't know what to make of that and how, um replicable that is in the playoffs when intensity is dialed up uh of course you know the warriors have broken the mold you can win as a jump shooting team and of course they have a guy who was the top three mvp candidate a while back in paul george he's having a good year as as much as you know we criticized him for what went down in the bubble everyone knows about that uh and of course you have Kawhi leonard who can be you know a legend killer uh, at any point in time, if as long as he's healthy, um, what do you what do you make as far as so so for me? I guess I'm I'm lukewarm on the Jazz, the Nuggets, and Clippers. Like I, I need a little bit more. I need playoff proof. Whereas the Lakers, I'm kind of like, well, if Anthony Davis is healthy when the playoffs start, I'm in. I I, I believe the favorite. You know, yeah. and they were they were the favorite of eighty percent of GMs at the start exactly. of this year. So they're still the overwhelming favorites. I don't think anyone disagrees with that but what do you make ha, i guess what i want to ask you is have your thoughts about the clippers changed at all over the course of the regular season or do you still need to see that once the playoffs come that someone's going to be a leader
0: yeah i need to see when the playoffs start um <clears throat> i think overall Kawhi has proven himself so you know push comes to shove i mean if the clippers play any of these teams seven from i would say what 11 I'll probably favor the Clippers as compared to the Jazz. Um, I do see them losing to a Nuggets or even like a Warriors or a Trailblazers. I think that's mm. fairly possible. Um mm. if they somehow those if they get flipped lob into a direction of the Blazers are number eight or something like that. Um, mm. I, I don't see any of the teams kind of looking on in. So basically teams out of the playoff pitcher, so Mavericks on down. I don't really see any of them making a possible threat to them. But in terms, yeah. I, I feel more comfortable with the Clippers than I do the Jazz. Um, Agreed. In terms of winning, Agreed. in terms of winning the title, um, I think the Lakers are the, the the favorites. Now the question is, you know, the Suns. You know, friend of the show, um, Josh Kuhn, um, He's a huge Suns fan, um, also Nuggets like, fan as well. Um, you know, they're the fourth seed. They're having a remarkable season. No one's really talking about them. Yeah. Um, I know he was very outraged that Devin Booker was, didn't make the All-Star team until way later, until an injury had to really make that happen. So at this point, I mean, what, it'd be the four or five matchup with the Spurs. I'm not sold on him. Sorry, Josh, as, <laughs> the, you know, a top uh, contender. However, it is a basis, you know, for the future. And if the Suns can even make a decent run, that makes him a prime um, trade destination. And you know, we you know the Phoenix has gotten great free agents before in the past when they were a top playoff team back in the day with Nash and Stoudemire, and even with Barkley and Danny um, with a, what's his name, um, Dan Marley. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they have gotten free agents. You know, I don't think it's been a huge struggle to play in Arizona. So this is a critical season. E as long as they don't get bounced in the first round. I mean, this could be a building block season. So just because you know I may not see them, you know, going further into the playoffs, um, it doesn't mean that's going to be any kind of a disappointment having that four seed. Do you think the Suns will be any kind of a threat, or do you think you know this was, this is kind of like a huge step forward, but not in terms of actually winning the title?
2: Yeah, I you know I I do see the Suns as maybe a little bit more of a threat than you do. I, I okay. think a lot of their success depends on Aiden uh, and his development, but. You know, I think you and I are, are on the same page. I mean, obviously, we're good friends. We're best friends and stuff. But um, we, we want to see proof before we buy into things. And certainly, there's a lot that needs to be proven with the Suns as, as currently constructed. But I do, for me, I see the Spurs as having the fifth seed. And maybe I'm wrong, but, but a lot of that is, like, experience. The Spurs are always crafty. I don't really see, especially, like, LaMarcus Aldridge, as a threat when we go into the playoffs, So I could see if we freeze the standings as they are now, I could see the suns beating the Spurs. And then I could see the, the suns as a legitimate threat against the jazz, just simply because they have Chris Paul and the, the work that he can do analyzing defenses and making his mark, as far as that goes, um, you know, obviously the question is going to be, can they slow down Donovan Mitchell on the other side, the the huge question mark uh, fair enough, but they're a team that I think could, could really surprise some people in the playoffs. I, I don't think enough to where I would put them as a dark horse, though. I, I don't see them making the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but again, maybe if they get placed against the Jazz, maybe that's just uh, a match made in heaven for them to make some noise and surprise me. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah.
0: Matt, anything else you wanted to add before we say uh, goodbye for this week?
2: No, man. You guys, be sure to go check out, as Justin mentioned, March 2nd, How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius by Nick Green. Be sure to pick up your copy of that book. It's going to be an awesome read. You won't be disappointed if you like the sport of basketball or if you just like interesting stories, really. It's it's a great book.
0: Agreed. agree. And check out our past interviews. Um, we have a great interview about uh, AAU basketball with Chris McSwain. He is the CEO of Top Flight Elite Basketball. We have Pat Boylan, who is a um, Indiana Pacers silent reporter. Um, we have uh, Paul Nepper, a great interview with him, the author of The Knicks of the 90s. Um, we have Dane Moore, who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Vince Miracle, if you want to know about gambling. Adam Taylor with the Celtics. Um, Zion Olegete um, with Complex Sports. And this, it goes on and on and on. Casey Kieran and Matt earlier, um, so please check that out. Uh, plenty of great interviews, even on uh, Chris Manning of NBA Two K TV. and this, just um, this, you know, we've plenty of this content for you, um, just to, to keep you busy um, while you're waiting to get back outside and enjoy um, this uh, normal life again. Uh, so, please go check that out. So, for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. We'll see you next week. Be safe. Peace. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, you can get in touch with the podcast through email with hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, we are on all social media platforms. Please leave us a review on iTunes and check out our YouTube channel. See you next week.